I came across a social media post from a woman. It is impossible to imagine that my mother, who lost her parents and became orphaned at age seven, fought against Hitler with the Russian people, had to hide in a haystack from Nazi German soldiers today at the age of 85, is hiding in the basement in Kyiv from Russian soldiers. It is a strange and surreal world. A lot of fears, a lot of unknowns, a lot of devastation, a lot has changed since we even gathered last Sunday. And this passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 37 through 44, was chosen weeks ago as part of this Meals with Jesus series. Doesn't strike us as exactly the kind you would hear uh, in light of all that's going on, and yet I think some of the, the themes that are at the heart of it will... Um, will resonate, although I will say the sermon title really is no longer looking for a loofah. We will look for a loofah a different week. <laughs> Luke 11, 37 through 44. While he was speaking, a Pharisee invited Jesus to dine with him, so he went in and took his place at the table. The Pharisee was amazed to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not the one who made the outside make also the inside? So give for alms those things that are within, and see everything will be clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and the herbs of all kinds and neglect justice and the love of God. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love to have the seat of honor in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like Dunmark graves, and people walk over them without realizing it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 2006, I was um, walking with Michelle and her in-laws and our tour guide through the city of St. Petersburg, Russia. That moment, we were strolling through the outdoor markets, and I came across this booth there selling vintage items, including this pocket watch that was something of a standard-issue pocket watch used by the KGB agents decades ago. Forgive me for those of you who have heard this story uh, before. Well, having been a history major myself and having grown up with a healthy, healthy dose of James Bond and Get Smart, I was genuinely intrigued. I kept going back to that booth and mulling it over, looking it over. Eventually, how much? man doesn't speak English, but our Russian guide steps in. She translates 100. A graduate student at the time, this isn't going to work, but... My in-laws, they decide to, to step in. They, they want to offer this as a gift to me. They, they do. They buy the pocket watch for me. Looks good. Our story begins with Jesus being invited into a religious leader's home who looks good, what with his cups and dishes and hands washed just so, his monetary donations set to the proper religious standard, his home open for hospitality. And Jesus' first words at the meal, 
You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but you are full of greed and wickedness. Wow. It looks good on the outside, but the real substance is a mess. What a way to start the meal. Well, it had been just a one-day visit in St. Petersburg, and it was just a, a stop along this week-long cruise, actually, through that region. The next day, we are off at the, uh, a port in Estonia, and that's also lined with these markets right as we deboard. And, and wouldn't you know it, three or four of the same pocket watch for sale. The guy sees me looking at them, and he, and he, and he goes, the watch, 25. <laughs> He didn't mean it, but he, he added insult to injury when he goes, no, he said, I said, originally he said 15. He said, two for 25. Sorry, I said, 15, two for 25. It looked good on the outside. At first, it became emblematic in some ways of a country that does put forth a beautiful foot if you dock for a day or two and, and tour the wonders and the history of St. Petersburg or Moscow and you listen to the state-sponsored news, but then perhaps not nearly appreciate some of the depth of poverty and injustice. And true as all that may be, it is true at the same time and discomforting that Jesus is speaking these scathing words about the outside and the inside in a small home setting with religious people who clean up real well. And perhaps... We want to pause here this morning and say, look, you know, in these recent days, we've been praying. Actually praying more than we've prayed in a while. We've been praying for the people of Ukraine. And the people of Russia. And the surrounding neighbors. And for one another. And for all the unknowns and all the fears. We have been praying for peace. We have been praying for you, Jesus. To show up. And Jesus walks in among us this Sunday morning, and, and he wants to bring up the ways certain things look good on the outside, uh, but have something else going on in the inside. Not that that isn't unimportant, not that we shouldn't all consider our blind spots, but Jesus, even in the past 48 hours, there have been bombs dropped all over Ukraine and Yemen and Somalia and Syria. Jesus, let's deal with the big stuff first. To which Jesus would say, that is precisely my point. The message translates the next section of the passage I read aloud, where Jesus' remarks continue to these religious leaders who clean up well. You, you keep meticulous account books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get, but manage to find loopholes for getting around the basic matters of justice and God's love. Careful bookkeeping is commendable, but... The basics are required. You, you tend to the smaller external things with such cleanliness, such detail. Did you give the right amount to ensure you've kept the religious law? Did you keep up with this or that expectation? Did you keep up with the many good and necessary things that often fill the to-do list of good religious people? Or, or even, Bobby, it's fine to... Think through a purchase. Take a lot of time th with that. And I get you're frustrated being lied to. You're embarrassed being lied to. But 
Wrestle first with the fact that you're living in a world where you can be on this boat where there's more food than anyone can possibly eat and it, it docks next to a neighbors who are in the exact opposite predicament. Wrestle first there. Careful bookkeeping is commendable. But first and foremost, the basics are required. Justice and God's love, Jesus tells the Pharisee. In this past week, our eyes have been awakened to what it looks like for the church to prioritize justice and God's love. In the pastoral letter that I sent to the congregation uh, this past Thursday, I included at the bottom a link to Christianity Today and this article that if you clicked on it, you saw the very vignette of stories relating uh, what various pastors and churches um, were saying and doing in worship this past Sunday throughout Ukraine, even in Russia. One pastor of the Regeneration Baptist Church, located about 200 miles west of Kyiv, said this last Sunday, We very much hope that our house of prayer will not be needed for, to shelter people, but we are preparing so that people can come here, if necessary, to find safety and shelter. Another, a president of a Baptist seminary a little further west declared to any who might face loss of home, if something happens, we will open our homes and our churches to you. Another pastor of a Ukrainian Pentecostal church, one of their, their denominational leaders actually said last Sunday uh, before their services, before their um, Sunday worship, go closer to meet those who are against you or fighting you. We are not only to enjoy peace ourselves, but to share it. An exhortation about loving your enemy. Over in Russia, one pastor, recognizing the likelihood of mass displacement being known far and wide, said to his church, let us turn our hearts toward the refugee. Love of the vulnerable, love of the refugee, love of the enemy, the basic priorities. How might we, the church in North America, join in this bold posture that, that risks life and location in the name of, of worshiping our, our, our God and loving God's children, the displaced, the dispossessed, even the enemy? How might we be equally clear-sighted about our priorities? I think we all know how a groundswell of goodwill and, and passion can, can and does ignite all of us for a certain season unto the right priorities, perhaps like this last week. But it's easy then to fall back into those worries of smaller things and, and keeping up appearances and how things look on the outside. How do the people of God lean into the priorities of God for the long haul? The great Russian novelist Dostoevsky offers this insight from his novel, The Brothers Karamazov. He's speaking through the words of Father Zosima. Father Zosima is at this point in the novel where he's talking with other monks in the monastery where they live and telling them what their focus is to be and how it, how it will be that way. And the focus is just one sentence. Love God's people. The rest is how it's sustained. Love God's people. For we are not holier than those in the world because we've come here and shut ourselves within these walls. But on the contrary, anyone who comes here by the very fact he has come already knows himself to be worse than all those who are in the world, worse than all on earth. 
For you must know, my dear ones, that each of us is undoubtedly guilty on behalf of all and for all on earth. Not only because of our common guilt of the world, but personally, each of us, for all the people and for each person on this earth. This knowledge is the crown of the monk's path and every person's path on earth. The priority is named at the outset, love God's people. But then the way that is focused and maintained is is through a profound humility that recognizes one's brokenness, one's own guilt, one's own part in the mess. Jesus' words must, like Dostoevsky's, very uncomfortable, right? You wash up well on the outside but are full of greed and wickedness. They're deeply uncomfortable, but, but, but they are not words of condemnation, as if Jesus' ministry was to go around and say, gotcha, gotcha, I see inside, gotcha. I came that they might have life and life to the full. Oh, at their best, Jesus' hard words are not a condemnation, but an invitation, an invitation unto Humility. Invitation to slow and consider that maybe we do get up caught up in polishing surfaces and secondary matters, and maybe maybe we can't nearly see all of our hearts or nearly see all of the parts in which we are part of what unfolds around us or around this world. Great humility. This is the knowledge. This is the this knowledge is the crown of every person's journey. Because only from that space of great humility can the priority of great love be accomplished. Right? Think about it. Isn't that the good news of Jesus Christ who humbled himself to be a servant unto all and from that posture of utter humility in fact did love the world. From that posture of complete humility came the kind of love that dies for us. From the kind of love So great it proves stronger than death itself. And isn't that amazing? The heart of our faith declares that it is the humblest of love, which is the singular thing that conquers the most recalcitrant of all evils, death itself. And goodness knows that in our world today, we need the kind of love that is stronger than tanks and armies and politics and death. We need resurrection love. We need Jesus' love. And the birthplace for that kind of love is profound humility. The church that this world needs today cares not for all the little details and debates that so easily consume our hours and our days and our years. The church that this world needs today cares not whether the surfaces are shiny or or not, whether the people think this of us or, or, or not. No, the church that the world needs today opens hearts and doors and prayers to those most vulnerable, 
to warfare and famine and injustice of every kind. The church the world needs this day opens hearts and doors and prayers unto the brokenhearted and the ailing and the children. The church this world needs today opens hearts and doors and prayers even unto and especially unto our enemies. This is the church of Jesus Christ fueled by a resurrection love. And so what if the strongest thing we do today is drop to our knees and open our hands? And let our hands drop the many secondary and surface things that so readily, easily clutter our hearts and even the business of the church. Open our hands in confession and lament and gratitude and worship and hope and complete dependence. For God's power and God's love through us are perfected in weakness. And always, always only from a space of great humility can there be great love for all. Amen.